Welcome to Real Estate Unscripted, where each week we connect no-nonsense, let's get it done, realtors and lenders from across the country who want to grow our businesses and stay motivated with timely topics and experts in our field. I'm your host, Marjorie Adam. Let's get started. All right, everyone. I want to welcome you all today to Real Estate Unscripted, where we have the benefit and fortune of having Jamie Bailey join us today. Jamie, please say hi. Hello, everyone. So let me tell you guys a little about Jamie. She's a producing branch partner with Alcova. She's been with them since 2004. She started the mortgage industry in 1998. She's not new like me. We've been doing this a long time. So today she's really going to focus on something she's really great at, which is investing. So yes, she's a branch partner. Yes, she is a loan originator. She does mortgages. But she really realized and understood a long time ago that if she was going to have alternate sources of income and prepare for her retirement, that she was going to be smart about how she did it. So we're going to talk about how she got into it. So I've learned a lot already just getting to talk to you. I think we have a lot of people who are want to be investors or think, oh, I should buy a property. But we're going to talk a little bit about the fear behind that because you had a lot of that too. But let's get right into it. So you bought your first house when? I bought my first house in 1999. My father had a life insurance policy. And after I paid for the funeral expenses, I had $8,000 left over. And like real estate. I've always liked real estate. I love looking at houses, right? Yes. <laughs> cool. That's what everyone says. It's so yeah. fun looking at houses. Yes, it can be. So yes. tell everyone how much was this house? This house was $23,000. So now here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want people to go, well, you know what? Yeah. She got into it then. I can't find a $23,000 house. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's just talk about though, how you started. We're going to give everyone some tips, but what I don't want someone to do is, well, oh, of course, if I could find a 23, well, maybe you can, but it's not the point of going backwards to what someone can find, but you found a $23,000 house. You had 8,000, you got a mortgage. I did get a mortgage on the house. I did. I couldn't afford to pay cash for it. I didn't have any money. It was a single mom with two kids. So yeah, I didn't have any cash at all. I just knew I wanted to invest in real estate. So it's almost comparable really back then to today. So yeah, you can't get caught up in the 23. And you still own that house. I do. So that's something to think about as well. Someone who's really an investor, you can be two kinds, right? There's nothing wrong with fix and flip. We talked to someone who did that. I have a good friend who's a fix and flipper that actually mm -hmm. I interviewed as well. And that is one way to do it. You are a holder. You hold on to your investments. Now, I'm not saying you've never sold one, but you tend to be longer term in your investment strategy. Right. Most of them we do. I'm looking for income. When I retire, I'm looking for something to leave my children. Which is everyone's goal, right? So you had mentioned that you said you did not come from a wealthy family, right? Like we have to build our own wealth, right? We want to build it for ourselves, but for future generations, our kids, their kids, ideally. So you mentioned, and you're an analyzer. What does that mean? Oh, Marjorie, I want to say personality defect is what it means, but I analyze everything. If I'm going to Walmart to buy a TV, I'm going to look at Walmart. I'm going to look at Best Buy. I'm going to look at what am I getting for my money? Is it a good value? Because we work very hard for our money and it's true. You have to be a good steward of it. So you do have to be able to analyze. And really think about this, which is correct. So we retire at 65, right? And so unfortunately now, unless you've got 
great retirement, which is hard to build as well, right? Because you got to live. Then you right. live another 30 years. Hopefully you're blessed to live a long, long life and a healthy life. Social security, as we all know, is not going to do it. If no. you didn't save enough, it's to not struggle in those retirement years, right? It's to know that you worked so hard during your 30 to 65 or whatever the time frame is that all of a sudden you don't have to look and think, gosh, I just spent all those years working my tail off. And now I want to have that freedom and ability to enjoy those retirement years, not struggle through them. And so mm -hmm. you'd mentioned that's really a big reason. It's fear of what could that look like, but also the flip side is love of what you can do for your family. The life you do right. get to continue to have. And so you made a plan. Yes. And I'll be honest with you in my analyzing, I didn't see a way for me to save enough money. I didn't see a way for me to put enough money in my 401k to feel like I was going to live comfortably from 65 to 95. When your health's declining, you're not physically as fit. You need more medicine. You need to put a roof on your house. And in being a loan officer, I have a lot of clients as well. I would see a lot of people who would call in and say, I can't afford this. What can I do? Can I cash out, refinance my house so I can pay for an HVAC unit or a roof? And it was so sad. Some of them could not even afford their medicines. Oh, no, we, we're very clear on that, too. And, and I agree with you. I think it's something you've got to really think about it when you're 25, right? I had a financial advisor back then, too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's forever away. And now it's like, oh, it's right around the corner, right? It sort of speeds up and you realize, yeah. oops, right, time is shorter. So tell me the book. You said you read a book and it made a big difference to you. What was the book? I did read a book. It was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in the book, he goes through employee, self-employed business owner. He kind of lays out his progress and how he came to invest in real estate. And it just made sense to me. It seemed like this was very reasonable. I could do it. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a college degree, but it seemed very doable. And so that was my path to start. Excellent. There are many, many, many successful people, right? Many self-made successful people that have learned through the school of hard knocks or through trade schools or frankly, just figuring it out. So yes. I think you not having gone to college is not the end all be all or any of us listening who say that. It's like, look, there are a lot of people that just work really hard and have figured out ways and stayed on course. And I think yeah. for you, like we're going to get into how many properties you have now, which is a lot, but you said you really would buy mostly distressed properties in some shape or form. And you would put sweat equity into it, which I think, frankly, the ability to kind of understand what property they need to buy, being able to put some equity into it, whether it's sweat equity or some money, but really knowing you're going to put some work into them. And you did. And you then built up, we can almost call it a real estate empire. You don't think of it that way. I want to be the person that looks like the poor old farmer that has all the money in the bank. You had mentioned you had an older realtor that you worked with, right? who has sadly since passed, but that gave you some advice. What was one of the biggest pieces of advice that he had given you? He was very crotchety, right? Very opinionated. And what I loved about him was he would tell me his truth as he knew it. And everybody has their own truths, right? Yep. And he said, you make your money when you buy real estate, not when you sell it. Yeah. So that first smart investment, because yes, right. equity can build, but I have people that buy things because it was inexpensive, but with a massive issue, right? It was either a location, a massive location issue or a driveway that you really were afraid you would just slide down at any time. So anything you couldn't change, right? So you're right. That smart purchase also, right. it makes it the smart sale, right? Investing in the right 
type of home or a home that'll grow or something you can repair or whatever it may be versus it was just a deal, but it was a deal for a very clear reason that won't go away. Right. And, you know, we've been in the market of progressing upwards for several years now. So if you have a new realtor, a new investor who doesn't have time in the market, everything has its ups and downs. Everything has its seasons. So that needs to be part of the planning as well. What if we have downtimes? You know, what if the house isn't rented? What if this and that? You need to look at the what ifs also. Oh, absolutely. So you have several kinds of properties. You said in 2005, you bought a 16 unit apartment complex that came with a four bedroom house and two additional parcels of land. That's a pretty great purchase, right? But there was some fear in that purchase too, right? I mean, a little nerves. So what were you nervous about with that one? Well, I'll tell you a happy thing first. So when we first bought it, they were renting for 300, 325 an apartment. We are now up to 700, which is great, right? Yeah. But that was the biggest thing. We had been buying single family houses and that was the biggest purchase. And I literally laid in bed, almost sick to my stomach, thinking all of the what ifs, what if they don't pay me? What if they tear up the property? You know, what if we can't can't get them out. What in the world? What if? And I was just sick of worrying. And so I changed my thinking. I said, what's the worst that could happen? Right. And I think in the news, you've seen a couple of landlords get shot. So that was certainly a thought, right? Somebody trying to get them out and they shoot you. Knock on wood, that hasn't happened. They're not going to pay us. And as a lender, I take pride in my credit. I take pride in hopefully knowing more than my clients to be able to guide them to make good decisions. So one of the worst things that could have happened would have been for me to go bankrupt, for me to lose the property. Like that would have absolutely destroyed me. It would have destroyed my ego, right? Yeah. At the time, my pride. So those were definite considerations. But, you know, once I looked at that, I was like, okay, I can live with the worst that could happen. I can live with that. Yeah. And so now you have a spreadsheet with you. You went through with 47 properties that you own that are a combination of the 16 unit apartment complex and 11 unit apartment complex. You mentioned you have some land. You don't rent the land. Of course, you have your primary home. You have a couple of second homes when, which you need to tell me about, because I'll totally rent it. Cause you said you rent your <laughs> Smith mountain Lake home. I love Smith mountain Lake. So that's our dream actually. So I'll talk right. to you about that because cool. we really want a Smith mountain Lake home, but I think you have a pretty varied investment portfolio, not just one type, but you've been holding all out of these since 1999. So you've had the ability to have some equity growth growth as well as rent growth and a longer term investment strategy. So we're going to give everyone some tips because I think they hear this and they're like, oh, me too, me too, right? Like they'd like to be you. They'd love to have one or five or 10 or 47 is probably a big dream for a lot of people, but let's get some tips. So some tips for our potential investors that are listening right now. So one was don't listen to negativity. Talk a little bit about that. So there are... A lot of naysayers along the way, like I'm a person that gets passionate about what I'm doing and I like to share, right? Like I have to say, oh, you know, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about doing that. And there are the naysayers. Oh, it's never going to work. Oh, you're going to have to take them to court and it'll take months to go through court, which it doesn't, right? We have a right to a speedy trial, but Sometimes there's people that don't want to see you succeed and they don't want to see you happy. And it's not that they have bad intent. It's just that they don't share the joy like they should. Everybody should share the joy. So when you're talking to your friends and family, if you decide to share with them what you're doing, 
Don't take it personally, whatever they say. Stay your course, stay on your plan. You need to be the analyzer and you need to make up your own mind as to what's right for you. I think a lot of that is just fear for you too, right? Fear of they're scared or they don't have that vision. And so it's this fear of the unknown and fear of, oh my gosh, all these things could go wrong. But you're exactly right. I mean, I think with a plan, with knowing that you're able to cover some things if necessary, you're able to pay a rent for a couple months if you have a vacancy, like you have to have some contingency planning. But I do think a lot of people that don't have that vision or who are afraid are in their own lives, like they're the same people that will never change jobs. They will uh-huh. stay in bad situations because of this fear of unknown or lack of that vision. Sometimes, yes, it's jealousy, you know, oh, that you're going to be successful. But I think it's the people that just don't have that courage to make a change in their own lives, who really just think they're doing you a favor saying, oh, it could go badly. Well, it could also go super well. So yes, we all have the people, whether it's friends, family, coworkers, right? A little bit, we call them haters. It's like, oh, look at what they're doing. So we're going to get past that. Then you also said everyone goes to, oh, tenants. Oh my gosh. Like I'm going to get calls 50 times a week. I am going to just be inundated. And especially you with 47 properties that you must have just, you do nothing but answer tenant calls. Not anymore. I don't. But yes, in the beginning, we did answer some, you know, that's part of it. But for me, it was a part-time job. For me and my husband, it was a part-time job. We both had full-time jobs. We fixed up the properties on the nights and weekends. A lot of times I was dragging my kids to the properties, paying them to help me paint, paying them to help me do the clean up the yard, do things. So yeah, there's risk and there's reward. And you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone to make it happen. Because if you don't, it's not going to happen. You're going to stay in the same position forever. Yes, agreed. And that leads us into, I think that another perception everyone has is, okay, if I'm going to invest, I have to pay all cash or I have to put like 30% down, right? And in many cases, even I would have thought you had to put down 20. Let's talk about some potential financing tips, right? You are a mortgage lender as well. So what would you tell people some different things to think about in terms of financing these properties? It's going to depend on the buyer and what they have and what they don't have. So, you know, one strategy is buy a smaller single family home, live in it a couple years, decide to move to your next maybe middle size home, rent out that home. All right. That's one strategy. You could buy a two, three, four unit property and you could use the income to help you qualify. Right. And if you buy it as an owner occupied, you don't have to have the 15 or 20% down. So like a single family house, you need 15% down, two to four units, you need 20% down. So if you're buying it as owner occupied, FHA, let's say you only need three and a half percent down. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, do side by side duplexes, whatever it may be that you can find that you can live in for, I think it's what, two years? No set time. But here's the thing. If you're like buying and moving like all in the same year, it possibly could throw up a red flag to an underwriter. So you don't want that. Plan on living in it at least a year. And then you could rent out your unit that you were living in, in that four unit property and go buy yourself your own home or Go buy another and do it again. Okay. You also had mentioned some things, also seller financing, if you can find it. We don't tend to find a lot of it. You also mentioned maybe taking over an existing note if it's possible. So I think those are all 
strategies to think outside the box a little bit, you know, depending on how long someone has, how long they want to invest, what they need to start. So the duplex side by side over under whatever it may be, different areas, people have different kind of visions or terminology for that, you know, buy a house, you can rent out your basement if it's allowed. I mean, there's just a lot of ways to start. And you had also said, and we both agree, start small. I think you do not go and say, oh, I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to buy a 38 unit apartment building, you know, maybe don't start there. Well, and you know what else? We previously have not talked about Airbnb or VRBO, but you can rent out an individual room with that. It is very manageable, right? The people have been screened because they're on the site. So they've been somewhat screened. If you're okay having people in your house. Yep. I do have a couple of clients that do that. They have like a four bedroom place and they will rent out bedrooms. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a comfort level as well, or, you know, rent out the basement if they live upstairs. So I think that creativity, knowing what the options are, again, we're all in different communities. Some people will say, oh, well, we don't have duplexes. Okay, we'll look for something else, right? Let's not get cut up in, in what your area has. It's what you've got to investigate. And then let's talk about foreclosures. Give them a couple things about buying a foreclosure. <laughs> Foreclosures, you have to be really careful there because they move quick. If you're going to the courthouse steps and bidding, you're in an atmosphere with usually seasoned investors. Now you have to start somewhere. So you could be that unseasoned investor on the courthouse steps. You don't have a realtor to guide you. So you're basically on your own. And when you come to get an appraisal, you're on your own. Sometimes you can't get in the property. Sometimes there's people living in the property. They're not going to let you in the property. So that's definitely a risky way to go. You can find some good deals with lender foreclosures that realtors have listed on the market. And there's sometimes more feasible properties to buy for a first-time investor. And it's going to depend on whether you need money to get started or you don't. Obviously, if you need a loan, there's going to be some lender guidelines there. And that depends on what loan program that you're going with. Yes. So also, when I was talking with you earlier, we talked about the 80-20 rule. Tell me about the 80-20 rule. So there's a lot of 80-20 rules, right? Like one of them is 80% of the people do 20% of the work and 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So the 20% of the people that do the 80%, they're your go-getters, right? They're the ones that want to get ahead and make more money and make something better and try to do it better. So I think, you know, if you're first starting out as an investor, I would say start small, go into the neighborhoods where 80% of the people live, right? So you're usually talking middle to low income, middle to low class people. You just have more people to rent to. So if you're going to be a renter and not a flipper, you want to make sure your property is going to stay rented. Sometimes if you have high-end properties, they'll sit for a while before they'll rent. So that needs to make sense. That needs to be part of your equation that you are analyzing. Yeah. I mean, because really you're looking for a good renter, right? Right. You need to be able to afford the rent. So we talked about, you know, the medium or lower rent. So if you figure whatever area you are in the country, you know, so let's say around here, the median, I'm going to say this is, it's pretty expensive. So if I go buy something that I need $2,800 a month rent for, that's a very high end rental where 1200 is actually probably not even median. I bet it's 1600, quite frankly. I think 1200, unfortunately, is probably low, but that 12 to $1,600 rental is what most people are looking for. So that's going to be successful in staying rented where a $3,800 one may not. Now, maybe I get the visiting professor that wants to live here for a year, but I don't have as much of that market. So if we're starting in it, 
what's going to be something that's always going to have a high demand for rent makes complete sense because then I'm having an investment that I'm not carrying that is staying rented as I own it, right? Which is paying that mortgage for me. Well, and the flip side of that is, you know, sometimes the properties aren't rented. Sometimes somebody will move out and leave some damage and you got to do some cleanups. So if you have a mortgage that you knew if feet hit the street, you had to make that payment, you could cover it. That's part of the equation too, because you don't want to get upside down, you know, too far in a house that's not rented. So you want to make sure that you're comfortable and you can manage that. If you had to carry that mortgage payment for a couple months, you could do that. Yeah. And I think also not biting off what more than you can choose. So I think it's funny because of course I am a realtor and I don't want to fix her upper. Well, some people's version of fixer-upper is literally changing the wall color. And then I have clients who will gut a house. I mean, it goes to a stud and that's not too much. So especially on your first ones, if you're not an electrician or a contractor, or you're not super handy, biting off more than you can chew, finding out that the well is bad or the septic's gone or gosh forbid you have a, a foundation issue you didn't know about. And now all of a sudden, you know, your budget's blown, your expertise isn't there. So starting smaller can also be buy the ugly house that we can paint and maybe change some things and get into it versus something that is going to be well beyond what you might have savings and resources to handle. Right. And on every house, run the numbers. You know, what am I buying it for? What's it going to cost to fix it up? What am I going to rent it for? And it has to make sense. And, you know, don't, buy the first house that you look at. Maybe it might take you looking at 20 houses before you find one or 30. You got to find the deal that's going to make sense for the individual person. And I will say as someone who sells investments, I certainly am nowhere near as much an expert as you. You're also buying a rental. So I have a lot of clients that go into it with their primary residence home mind on, not their mm -hmm. investor mind. Oh, well, I wouldn't want this kitchen. You're not buying it for your kitchen. I wouldn't want no. this small yard. You're not buying it for your yard. It's like my primary, you know, Marjorie house is very different than my investment house in terms of what makes sense. So I think people then say, well, I would want to gut this kitchen or they want to over improve. It's like, no, this is your rental. This is not something, you know, you're over improving to live in. Right. Right. So, you know, I shared with you earlier, we had ran our credit card debt up to 60,000 because we could only afford to put the money down and pay the closing cost. And, you know, we ran our credit cards up improving the properties and everybody makes mistakes. I don't care who you are. If you say you've never made a mistake or you're not going to make a mistake, I just don't believe it. And you just hit the nail on the head with what you said, because we did go in and start over improving the properties. And it was funny because I would tell people, even though our houses maybe weren't in a neighborhood that I wanted to live in, the insides of the houses were beautiful. And I would tell people, oh, I would have no problems living in this house. And I mean, other sometimes in the neighborhood, I wouldn't because the houses were beautiful on the inside. I'm not saying don't make them nice. Right. By no means saying make these awful. But, you know, we tend to look at things in our eyes as mm -hmm. if I were searching for my $400,000 house for me to live in, it has to have this open kitchen and I want this type of granite and everything. It's like, no, we want them to be nice, but it's based on price point reality, rental reality. I'm not saying it yes. should be painted. It should have decent flooring. It needs to be in good shape. Oh. But it doesn't okay. have to be just always, this is for me to live in. And some people might hear this and say, duh, but I can't tell you how many people I've been out that are like, yeah, no, no, this isn't exactly what we're looking. Yes, yes, it is what you're looking for for an investment. 
right? So I think right. it's also being able to separate that into here's an investment that I need to make this much in and put this much in and I'd like to get this much out of it versus my personal home that I want this much bigger of a yard for my four dogs, right? So exactly. it's a very different purchase. So yes, to yes. wrap up, if I want to be a real estate investment magnet like you are, right? Like if I want to be- <laughs> You're so flattering. <laughs> no, but really, let's give you the credit. The credit that you decided in 1999, this is something I want to put my mind to. You figured it out. You, again, didn't start with a million dollars that, you know, oh, I'm going to figure this out. You started with an $8,000 life insurance policy. You've really figured out how to make these work, how to keep these a long-term investment. And frankly- you are making a humongous difference in your life and your kids' lives and probably their kids' lives, by the mm -hmm. way. So yeah. as, by the way, what I'm most impressed at, you work full-time, your husband works 12-hour shifts. So this isn't even like you guys have like, oh, we figured this out. We're on our Greek island boat, right? You are working every single day. Right. But, the, you know, that's a choice, right? It's a choice. We could definitely stop working and be perfectly fine. I like to work. And I'm afraid, you know, when you look at clients that can't afford their medicine and can't afford to put a roof on their house and they're in their 60s, that scares me into submission into, okay, let's figure out what to do here. How can I, somebody who has nothing, grow it? And for me, that was the only way that I saw. That was the best path for me to grow it because saving in a 401k, you're just not going to save 30 years worth of income from 65 to 95 in inflated tomorrow's future dollars. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to get you there. No, but you took fear. So I always say fear is motivating or paralyzing. I think a lot of people yes. get scared and they just stop planning because it paralyzes them. And you took fear and it motivated you to make a plan and act on it, which is what we all need to do in our own way right? You took it to like on steroids, like you took an investing plan way further than most can, but a lot of us listening can say, you know what, I can buy a property, right? I can mm -hmm. take that leap and buy the first property with the proper planning, counseling advice, you know, working with a realtor who knows the area, working with a lender that doesn't let you get in over your head, working with your kind of consultants and people that can make sure you do it properly. If it's not something you're an expert in. And if we go back to what's the worst that can happen, okay, you buy a house, you don't like it. Hopefully the market's not tanking, right? It's not going down like we had in 2008, 2009. Sell it. Yeah. You know, you don't like it? Sell it. Get out. Yeah. Agreed. Right. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on Real Estate Unscripted today. I'm, I'm super pleased to get to know you. I'm really excited about what you've built. You're giving me some motivation. I can't let my husband <laughs> listen to this because he's one of the ones that's like, let's go. But thank you so much for joining us today on Real Estate Unscripted. Thank you for having me. Real Estate Unscripted is sponsored by Alcova Mortgage. Alcova is committed to simplifying the mortgage process. Check out the tools we offer to realtors and homebuyers at alcova.com slash realtors. Alcova Mortgage, equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 40508, org. Before we go, please show us some love by subscribing on your listening platform of choice and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share this with your friends and be sure to listen in next week. Until then, this is Marjorie Adam. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a recap. This podcast was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support.